We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we got into some of the bigger picture issues surrounding the team. And the conversation ended on the idea of get to it, right? Darius made a... a, comparison to the Shawshank Redemption, where, as always, all of our cultural references on here are at least 25 years old, and and that is no different. But the big part of it was get busy living or get busy dying. And we talked about the idea, that idea of Russ as a trade asset, right? Meaning that right now we have LeBron and Anthony Davis surrounded by a couple of MLE guys and a bunch of vet men guys. And just we don't have enough uh, talent on the floor. We don't have enough talent on the roster, especially that middle class of players. And so the rust trade has been a topic or a, a potential rust trade has been a topic since the beginning of this past offseason. And the Lakers decided not to make a move. And now we sit at 0-4. And, and I think at a point where we need to decide what we are and what we want to be in the fairly near future. And so that is the topic of today's podcast. So uh, I, I kind of framed your thoughts initially, Dee, but I'd like you to kind of restate them where you're coming from and bring it back to Russ and how it applies to this team. So first of all, Pete, there's nothing wrong with 25-year-old references, <laughs> right? The silver anniversary, we love a good 25-year waiting period in order to comment on cultural events here at a uh, <laughs> The LFR. You've always said, D, that you don't want to be first, right? Like it's not important to be first. <laughs> exactly. I'd rather be right. I'd rather be right. Um, anyways, so no, I think you did a good job of framing where where I'm at with this. The idea of what Russ represents is a complicated issue because people have their feelings about Russ that extend beyond basketball or their feelings about Russ's basketball are basically at the point where he he is either someone you very much appreciate or someone who you very much do not and 
we all fall on whatever side of that argument that that we fall. I'm not super interested in having that conversation. And that's not what this conversation is about anyway. We know that the Lakers have been trying to trade Russell Westbrook. It's been pretty clear. And my point is that you have to decide what you want to be this season and Get after that already, even if acknowledging that the limits of that may not be and the ceiling of that may not be at the heights in which you would have wanted it to be like three months ago or four months ago, or even when the beginning of this past offseason started, right, which was in April and May for the Lakers, right, because they were not in the playoffs. And so I'm just of the mindset, Mike, that... There is a lot of discussion to be had about the framework of a deal or of a potential deal of what other teams are looking to do. You made a very good point about negotiating position and the position that the Lakers are in now is not an ideal one. And so I'd just love to get your thoughts on that balance. If you're talking from the Lakers perspective, we are not in a position to make a strong deal or in a strong negotiating position. Yet, if the Lakers are going to turn themselves into a competitive team, the likelihood of having to make a trade from that negotiating position grows day by day, day by day. And so what is the, where are you at with the balance of that and, and the friction of those two ideas coming to a head? First of all, 25 years ago, we're talking about the real greatest era of hip-hop album releases i mean all eyes on me 96 talking about like biggie uh now that was like 97 was life after death you got tribe called quest beats rhymes and life in that so this is really a west side connection bow down which i listened to the entire album during the workout the other day and got at least three extra reps on every single set because of the way that the baseline hits and especially shout out to dubsy i feel like dubsy is underappreciated so Darius, the 25 year references, come on, don't, don't let Pete um, get those, make the those visual of, of you. Okay? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, come on, Pete. I, I'm, no, no, I'm no. distracting myself from the, from this question. So yeah, uh, no, no, I, I, understandably so. No, 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 please continue. <laughs> oh man. Um, I guess big picture for me, nothing has changed in the way that the Lakers should negotiate. Just because of how this would they have been in a stronger position had they started 0 and 4? I'm sorry, started 4 and 0 and said, Oh, we don't really need to make a trade because the team has enough to get some wins. And and if we're going to, it's going to be like just the obvious from a position of strength versus from a position of weakness. But I still think that whether it's next week or in a in a month or two, and while acknowledging that that could very well tank the season. Uh, in terms of them having a chance to really uh, make a run at some point, I still don't think you could. You just make whatever the best trade available now is. If it if it if it makes the future of getting to a championship harder, and there are a lot of things that go into that, but it's a lot of the same points that I was trying to make over the summer, where the Lakers at some point are going to have to get another star. And this is where we can get into the free agency versus guys signing extensions and all that. But the amount of picks that go out, uh, I think that's something that that 
I have a slightly different perspective on than you two, just based on our text thread. Sure. But I, I am not, there has not been something out there where I've thought, oh yeah, that's worth going in and using both picks for, regardless of what the record is right now. Mike, right Mike, can you explain your position on the picks a little deeper? Well, the short of it is just that the way the NBA has evolved over the last couple of years and the way that star players have moved has been has become more of a sign an extension and then either demand out or ask out nicely, like in the, in the way that Donovan Mitchell sort of did, you know, where where it wasn't really like the direct ask out, but everybody around the league had been reporting that he wanted to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how did they acquire him? Uh, the Gobert thing was was a little different, but he had signed his extension. Not, I don't think he demanded a trade or anything. It just uh, the Timberwolves apparently wanted him and then called Utah. But then, in order to get him, what do they have to give up? And you know, how many picks do they have to give up? And, and I think way too many. Uh, and and that's you know something we, we can discuss after the Lakers actually play the Timberwolves, and we'll see how they look there. But you know, Darius brought up a couple of counterexamples uh, in our chat that I'll, I'll let him get to if he wants to. There are still I I still think there's going to be a place for free agents. And I I still think that the Lakers are still going to be at the top of that list. But you don't know that, especially if it's a specific guy that you want. You don't know that that guy is going to be the one that that goes all the way to free agency. And basically, you may need to have picks um, in order to get guys um, as the year. And not just to use one if it's not a slam dunk move. There are some slam dunk moves uh, that like Anthony Davis was a slam dunk type of a move. It, it just was the, him at the stage of his career, LeBron James still in a, in a certain stage of his prime role players, potentially around their veterans like that. That was more of a slam dunk move. And some of the more recent moves for star trades to me have not been slam dunk moves and teams are giving up just way too much. And I, I just think that that has to be protected within reason and, and, and that's sort of where I think why the Lakers might be where they're at um, in, in terms of not just making any trade and giving up as many picks as they can because of the way that the season is is going. My discomfort with that is that we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis now. And what that means now is LeBron still able to be that guy in year 20. I believe that he is. I think that it needs to look a different way. And I think that the last chapter of his, like, I guess this part of his career reminds me a bit of when Michael Jordan came back from his retirement and he was less of the explosive around the rim. Uh, and the first retirement, right, Pete? Not the, not MJ on the Wizards. Right. You're talking about second three Pete. Second three Pete. That's right. Yes. Uh, 96 through 98. And he was relied upon to Speaking be. Speaking of 1996, that's right. Uh, Michael freaking Jordan. Amen. That was an era. Um, And MJ was part of the triple post offense, the triangle offense. He was functionally on offense, a lot of uh, very much a big man on a lot of possessions. Scottie Pippen was the de facto point guard that allowed him throughout his career to really explore scoring options off of the ball. And I think that the natural way to extend LeBron's superstardom, which and this is where I again, where I come from versus the picks is that LeBron is a superstar. And I think that he is the first guy ever that I think is capable of doing it into his 20 plus season. I think LeBron can be a superstar for a couple more years at the very least if he's slotted in the proper role. I don't think the proper role is giving him the ball at the top of the key as he's been for the vast majority of his career. Go ahead. Quick follow up on that though. Can superstars be slotted? 
isn't that the whole point of superstars? Like they're not, you don't really slot. If you're that level guy, sure. Well, then and, you're you're just you're number one. There isn't a slot. But it's what you ask them to do. Yeah, and I would say too that it's just like James Worthy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they were star slash superstar players, and even Magic Johnson through the early part of his career where they were winning championships, and it was still functionally Kareem's team, there was still a lot of balance between that and what the asks are of those those players and how you expand or retract based off of what those asks are and your ability to achieve those things. And I, and I think that's what Pete is speaking to. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Pete, but I think that's what you're speaking to in terms of the, hey, don't Tell LeBron to be a de facto point guard who has to create shots off of the dribble a la Luka Doncic for 80% of his possessions because that's not what's going to get the most out of him where his superstardom is going to be best represented on the court. Right. It, to flip it the other way around, like if you're asking a 25-year-old LeBron to be your big man or to be your post player, he has some physical capability to do that, but it doesn't emphasize and accentuate what he's best at. And that to me is the, when you have a team that's built around stars, ideally the guys that are around them are guys that really bring out that superstar. And you can ask where you can ask your superstars to do what they're best at. And those other guys help fill in the pieces around them. As I mentioned in yesterday's pod, I actually think it's the opposite of that, where the weaknesses of the team that we currently have require LeBron and AD, Mike, to step in, to fill some of those holes in ways like AD. AD's a, a superstar as well but we need him to be a conventional big man five right now. Whereas I would love for him to have some minutes at the four and to have, be able to show some of that one versus two scenario that Darius was talking about yesterday defensively, but the weaknesses of the team don't supplement that. And in context yeah. of the picks, that's why I'm like, it's sort of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Like I always think we're going to be there in the conversation for those star type of players. I also think part of it is how does the LeBron era end? How does that go over these next couple of years is going to inform a great deal of the attractiveness of what we are on the other side of that. And so having LeBron and AD now, I prioritize that way over the theoretical, we're going to need these picks. And you're right. You're right. That's how guys are mostly moving. They're taking their money. Well, you see what I'm saying? I do. I do. And it's a, it's a hard one. You know, I don't, this isn't one that I feel like super strong and passionate about it, it because it depends on what it is. It depends on what the type of deal is, but I guess just from a competitive standpoint, and this might reveal just something about my personality. Uh, I don't like to lose a trade. And when you give up more than you should because you're in a certain situation, you're you're essentially losing um, that. Now, again, all of the context then comes in on it, but it's just the principle of it. It's like you're you know you're in you're in for me either China or Italy in the silk market, and you're negotiating for ties, and you can pay more. Like, but there's a certain number that you know you don't have to go over, and you can walk out with those tots. And if you give more, then you're the sucker. Now, I that was when I had almost no money. Now that I have some, I might just give an extra twenty dollars and say, "Hey, thank you for working really hard for your livelihood to get these ties." But in terms of the negotiation, and that's what this is. There's no charity uh, in this. Like, it's it's you're this is. What we're getting back is not worth two unprotected first round picks. It's just not worth it. And unless those guys can can the can the guys that come in actually 
give it a good chance for a championship, mm-hmm. right? That's then and that threshold to me has to be met. And, and that's where I have, I have yet to be impressed. This idea of winning the negotiation is an interesting one and I think is a, a relevant storyline beyond just right now in that when we traded for Anthony Davis, uh, one of the big stories was great. You got AD, you got LeBron and AD together, uh, but the Lakers lost the trade, right? They gave up more than they had to. They negotiated against themselves. The Russell Westbrook trade, another one. Do you have to give up a first round pick along with the role players to to do that? And so I think that there's a certain pressure on the front office to win the trade. Uh, I also think that there's danger in that D of being penny wise and pound foolish, where you go beyond that, like, well, we have LeBron and AD now. And there's, it makes sense to like put a good team around them now. And, but Mike's point is now up until the, up until the point where in the future, you're not able to do certain things that could bring you a, cha- a championship or two. And that's the pressure on the other side of it. So I'm curious on your thoughts on that, D. Yeah, so there's a bit of um, cut off your nose to spite your face idea about winning the negotiation when you're in a position where the Lakers are almost destined to lose any negotiation that they're in. Cut off your nose sounds more like a medieval reference, Darius, than a than yeah, one maybe. from like So that's 25 oh, years. 25 years minimum, <laughs> right? We, yes. Maybe we yes. go back 2,500 years. start... The baseline is 25 Look, We may years. be talking Mike. about Darius the Great at some point on this pod. Yeah. Okay, that's where I thought he was going with it. So <laughs> the fascinating part, and I think, Pete, that you made a great point about the potential idea and, and like the, the psycho um, analysis of, of everything here. Like, do we have to win the trade? I would argue that – it's very unlikely you're going to win a Russell Westbrook trade. Sorry. Mm. You lost when you traded for him. Not because Russ isn't a good player or anything like that. It's that you now put your place, you put yourself in a position where you had to build the team a certain way. And now that team is being built out the way in one of the few ways that you could build, build it with the resources that have been available to you. And your team is no longer as good. Can I institute a quick qualifier for my whole point? It's just that there are going to be, to me, multiple teams that are going to want to essentially be worse in terms of wins and losses this year. So amongst those teams, and we don't know all of all of whom they are right now, there has to be one of them that wants to be worse for one first round pick and eating a certain amount of the salary compared to one that says I'm only going to do it for two. Uh, just because. And and that's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily winning in terms of won the trade. Look, like it, I, I acknowledge all that. I just think that from a negotiating standpoint, there this is not just one team that's out there that is not potentially going to do a trade unless it's for uh, two first round picks. I, mm. I think that there are going to be multiple teams that are going to want to shape their roster a certain way, whether to get off long term money or to just ensure that they're going to be uh, in a, the lower part of the conversation. And, and that's what I'm looking for, less so than just winning in terms of like, yay, pat on the back, uh, the negotiation itself. See, and I come at this from a different perspective of I'm not trying to give up as little as possible in order to make a deal. I'm trying to make the best deal that I can. And making the best deal that I can is what are all of my resources? And all of my resources are including the second pick. That doesn't mean, Mike, that I'm going to give up the second pick. It means, though, that it's on the table for me 
to give up that pick. And I am negotiating as if I am comfortable giving up that pick. Now, in order to give up that pick, I'm going to want something substantive back in order to build a roster out because the future the nebulous term, the future, and how you do or do not limit yourself in in the future based off of picks. That's definitely a branch on this tree within the decision-making process for the team. Another branch on that tree, though, isn't just the assets in terms of draft capital that, that you have. It is the assets that you have within the context of players. And what those players, the value of those players are in a potential deal, not only for the next star, but potentially to get yourself a first round pick. So Utah, for example, just traded in this past offseason Royce O'Neal to the Brooklyn Nets for a first round pick. Now, can the Lakers potentially in a year from now or two years from now potentially have a player that they traded for in a Russell Westbrook deal and do something similar to that where they recoup draft assets based off of that. Like what, what is the value of bird rights within the context of, of a negotiation? If the Lakers traded for a restricted free agent in a fictional Russell Westbrook deal, what does it look like then if that player is included in a signing trade to another team next off season, there are vines and off every single one of those forks off of that vine institutes another potential possibility in order to improve your team down the line rather than the finite thing of I'm only thinking of this one deal right now. And that's why I said in yesterday's pod that this is a 40 minute conversation because going down each one of those paths requires a similar level of debate to the one that we're having in this pod right now. So let's go to break here. When we come back on the other side, we'll uh, discuss these ideas a little bit more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So one of the things, perhaps one of the most important things that we need to weigh 
in all of these deals is who are are we on the other side of that deal and was it worth it right if we make a trade and we look at ourselves and now mind you the accumulated record between now and when the trade happens is really going to inform this but can we get out of playing territory at the other side of that trade? Are we a six seed? Are we a five seed? Have we traded two future first round picks, to your point, Mike, for the right to be a second round exit? Is that really what we're trying to do at the end of the day? And so that's some of the factors that I get gets measured into this whole equation is that at the end of this, where do we want to be and when do we want to be there? And then those questions that Darius brought up about how much do bird rights of a good player how much do we value that? What are our plans for our 2023 cap space? That's something that historically under under this uh, under this management that we've really valued that next year's open cap space. And so all of these factors come into play, Mike. But the first one to me is like, what are you on the other side of it? Uh, are you close? Are you close enough to justify it? And I think to your point that like, if you're going to give those two firsts, I would like us to be at the other side of that. Like, hey, we're in the conversation or we're close, we can get there. Um, and, and so I think that that goes into the, uh, the calculus of management. And in the meantime, how, how do the Lakers try to just salvage what we talked about in the last podcast, what, what is going on in the current roster and at what point of the season, you know, do, do you start to hear or start to think about what other teams want to do? And there's just a lot of unknowns, but this is where I think relationships around the league help uh, and, and, you know, executives that are talking to each other and trying to figure out the answer to all, all of these questions. But I'm, I don't think that we're really far apart on any of these things. Uh, I, I just like what Darius was getting at earlier. There are a couple of players that I do think are worth giving up what the assets that the Lakers currently have. But I don't think that those are available players uh, at the moment. And, you know, so it's just all of these depend every single trade, whether it's in your fantasy league in, or it's in real life. It all depends on the circumstances. And sometimes the initial initial tweet, if you want to use like um, the Adam Schefter example, Christian McCaffrey uh, the other day. OK, so the 49ers Pete's team acquires Christian McCaffrey, but he didn't include what the draft pick compensation was in the first tweet. So do I like this deal? I don't know yet. Right. And then and are there any other players going back the other side? And so every single one of those things matters. And the Anthony Davis trade is a good example as well, because there definitely was that feeling. And, and certainly the way that people report this around the league, I think there's always going to be a little bit of a, of a Lakers tax in no. the way that, you know, yeah, well, I don't, I don't, have to, I don't have to twist Pete's arm on this, especially <laughs> if the reporters happen to be from Boston, uh, which they but, are half the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, like at the time, you know, it's like, well, who are you, who are you bidding against? But it was, it was like, well, it's Anthony Davis, you know. So there, right. there are sometimes if if that's what it took to get the deal done, and the other side just absolutely wasn't budging. Well, how do you know they weren't budging? All of these unknown things. All of those have to factor in. And so it's just a I can't speculate much further right about what the position is on that. It's just basically be smart and address kind of what Darius just got to too. address the if it's a restricted free agent, then you have bird rights like all of that stuff does matter um, in each one of these equations. And it's not just a simple three minute combo. It, it is the full it is the full pod combo. One of the reasons why um, 
trade speculation is difficult is because we often look at this from the Lakers perspective, like what would you give up? What would you give, mm-hmm. give up? But as you were talking about, Mike, like the other team has to agree. The other team has to agree. They have to say, okay, fine, we'll do it. And getting the other team to that point for with the assets that the Lakers have is the whole ball game. And when I say that the second pick should be on the table, it's like there's a threshold that I want to meet me personally. If I'm giving up two first round picks and of course my threshold is I want three rotation level players, guys who are going to walk in and be like, hey, we're we're now three of the Lakers best seven players. Right. And I want at least two of those three players to be candidates to close the game. Right. Which which basically makes you then two of their five best players. Right. And that's sort of the threshold that I'm looking at when I'm thinking about two two first round picks, because I am not of the, oh, trade Russell Westbrook for another star player and give up two two first round picks. No. You know why I don't necessarily want that? It's it's because the Lakers don't have enough additional role player helping type of guys that are going to supplement stars. You know how I know that? Because I've been watching the Lakers play this season and I see the limitations that exist on this roster and making a one for one trade isn't necessarily what I think is going to be best for for the Lakers. And it plays into that idea, too, of what are you going to do in the future? And I think having multiple players is more helpful than having one. It's also, from a practical standpoint, difficult to make a one-to-one trade for a guy who's making $47 million, unless it's one of the cap space this upcoming offseason. Pete, do you value cap space next season? It depends on who's available, but to me, I'm... In a lot of ways, I'm very much uh, in, in the present here and now type of thinker um, and that this is the that this that it's important. Basically, your decisions today, even your small ones impact tomorrow. If we stink this year, right, we're all in four right now. If we stink at the end of the season, does LeBron extend as easily last year? Does he extend it as he did this past offseason? Does he extend it all? Is there like, what are we going into that last year of LeBron and AD's contracts? I think it's somewhat important that we are a competent team this year. Now, do I trade two first for just about anyone? No. But from the other team's standpoint, to your point, Darius, is that the salary cap relief that Russell Westbrook's expiring contract provides from them does not become valuable to them until after the season. In fact, the later they trade for Russ on a $47 million salary, if they're looking to shed salary, it's better for them because they have to pay less of his contract. They pay a lower proration of that. So there's no motivation for our other, for other teams that would get the benefit of trading for an expiring salary to really do it until February. Well, what's our record in February? And then is it worth it, right? Like we climb, what, what can we climb to at that point? And so, that's part of the reason why, though, I agree with your like get busy living, get busy dying uh, type of paradigm is because I think that that factors against us. But that said, Mike, like if we want to trade Russ earlier and there isn't that inherent benefit to the other team, then we probably do need to give up more. And then that is plays into your point. Well, are the guys that you're getting back good enough? Yeah. Mike, can I ask you the same question that I asked Pete? How much do you value cap space next season? Right. Because that's the sort of. 
that's another one of those branches that's on the tree, right? It's it's building towards the future and what the possibility and the potential of cap space represents too. And as you both know, free agency and the ability to attract players to the Lakers has traditionally and historically been an avenue towards improving the team quickly. And so where are you at in terms of valuing cap space? To bring a few more branches uh, into this or did you say vines Darius before look it's all horticulture yeah right now Mike and so we're on that theme right now so take it in whatever direction you want with that thorns and bushes plants not an area of expertise for me I'm I'm not much of a one with no green thumb foliage not a lot of not a lot of you won't find me camping uh you know I think (laughs) that so luxury tax is another thing that I, that I start to think about into this conversation and like what, so it, it just all depends on the type of player that you think you could come, that you could get with that. And then if so, factoring in LeBron and AD's salaries and, and who they're going to be able to bring, bring back and what type of exceptions that they might use that gets there, that becomes a math question as well. But generally speaking, I value cap space more on the Lakers than I do with most teams just because of the, the draw uh, of going to that place. But it also isn't a, it also isn't a slam dunk um, depending on what the whole larger salary structure of the team looks like and, and how that plays out. And that's speaking of another 40 minute conversation. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing, but I just wanted to enter a little bit more confusion into this uh, (laughs) as, as we think about it, but Bottom line for me is that it mostly depends on the players and I will, I will kind of, if I can get the right type of player and the right guy in, in a trade, then I'll do it in the trade. If I can get the guy to come for free, that's of course much better. Uh, That's what, that's why the Brunson deal to the Knicks Mm. that I think some people are initially criticized and it, it's like, well, hold on. Just like when the Lakers got LeBron, they didn't give anything up to get LeBron. Yeah. That has a huge value just on its own. Mm-hmm. The Wolves got Rudy Gobert, but look what they had to give up for it. And that's not even assuring a, a fit. So like, that's the worst kind of thing for me when you're trading for something that isn't a slam dunk that has to be worked out. And part of what the position that they're in, which is what Tim Connolly, uh, their new exec, has been saying, is that, well, we, you know, Minnesota, we don't expect to be able to be a player in the free agency mar- uh, game. So it's it all leads back, I think, to my... Uh, original thinking on this Darius of the Lakers, the Lakers draft picks and like the Lakers cap space are just a little bit different from what a lot of other teams ones are. And I just want to keep as much as I can on the table until I have to give it up or until I'm motivated to give it up because it's the right type of a piece, because we've seen what happens when it's not the right piece Mm -hmm. and what that's done to the last two seasons. Mm -hmm. And you only get, Speaking of the whole LeBron AD thing, I'm also in that you only get one sh- one more shot to try to salvage that. Mm. And you don't want to cost yourself the shot after that to get the next type of championship type team by overreaching to the current shot. So it's there's a lot of moving parts. It's a difficult situation to be in. And it's uh, it's it's one that I know there are people working very hard on to try and figure out what the best courses to take. Where do you fall on the cap space issue, D? I don't really value the cap space. It's not my money. 
So, but I will, uh, I will approach this from two different perspectives. One of the reasons why I don't value cap space is because cap space implies that you have stripped down your team again, and I'm tired of the lack of continuity within the roster building. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get players and keep players and try to build with players, particularly when you're trying to build chemistry around two star guys. Second, again, it's not my money, but when you go into an offseason with cap space, you lose your exceptions because you have voluntarily, you only have salary, the nature of salary cap exceptions is that they are exceptions to the salary cap because you were over the salary cap. Mm-hmm. And so you lose your exceptions. And now you have, you have in certain ways, artificially or purposefully, whichever direction you want to go in, you have limited your spending power. And when you already have two players on your roster who are making the max, you are, you are undercutting your ability to build out a capable team around those, those guys because that middle class that we discussed, those guys do not come cheap still. You're not going to... If you have... $35 million in in cap space, you're not going to be able to go out there and sign five players who make $7 million each. That's not how that works. One of the things about free agency 2D is that like it's much harder. It's not like the draft where you find somebody in the second round and they're really good, an all-star caliber player. These are guys that have played in the league that everybody kind of knows how good they are and like their market rate. So like the amount of time where you sign a $5 million guy and it's like, oh, he's given us $20 million production. It just doesn't happen as often. Yeah. So I guess I would prefer to say that I value I value picks similarly, not to the same level that Mike does, but I do value them, right? Because I do think that for future deals, they matter or even just the ability to use those selections yourself. But if potentially the Lakers are not a very good team, they might be able to draft the next guy number two or number three or number four overall who could turn into a cornerstone player or is the fulcrum for a deal for that next star right and so i get the value of of all of that but cap space while you already have lebron james and anthony davis on the team those are the guys you want cap space for and i'm not interested in spending 35 or 37 million dollars on a single player yeah and then filling out the roster again with a room exception player which is going to be in between 4 and 5 million dollars and then another 8 minimum level guys right and it's like when you look at the knicks mike you you brought up the knicks example with with jalen brunson one of the things that the knicks had was young players on their team that they then committed to beyond next season so they used their cap space to sign jalen brunson but then they had young players in the pipeline that they've extended so they extended mitchell robinson they extended rj barrett in the next couple of years, they'll probably extend OB Toppin and they'll extend Emmanuel quickly. And they have a pipeline of guys that are going to fill out the rest of your team when they have already had the salary cap space then to go and chase that bigger guy. And that's why for me, the Lakers don't have that pipeline of 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 players, even if there are veteran minimum guys that are on the team this this year, your ability to keep them is with non-bird rights, which only increases their salary by 125%. So there are salary cap minutiae here that that we're, I don't want to go too in the weeds on, but 
It's why cap space for next season matters less to me, whereas cap space for the seasons in which LeBron and AD potentially come off the books, that's the cap space that is way more valuable to me Mm. because the abundance of it means that you can quickly rebuild in ways that that matter more than for next offseason. I like that point. I think that's a great, great argument. And to put it in a a simple sentence, if the Lakers want to get good players back without trading as many picks as possible, the alternate route to that is taking on future money. And I think I hope that that's on the table more than it's been reported, because I think that's the way that we could get our current team to be better than it is without sacrificing the future that Mike is rightfully looking to protect. And so uh, really good conversation, guys. I don't think it's the last time we have some version of this, um, but curious to see where this goes. All right, everybody have a great weekend. Let's freaking get our first win. <laughs> uh, we'll be back on Monday, but until then, You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! Unbelievable. Victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.